Today we welcome Jamal Ramir. He is a former enterprise software sales rep, closing over $160 million in revenue, founder of Mega Deal Secrets. Jamal, you're an incredible follow on LinkedIn. Uh, I read a lot of your posts and I think you bring an excellent perspective. One post I wanna start with is, enterprise sales is the only job where you can go from being an idiot to a genius with one signature. I thought that that was a great on-ramp to the conversation. Why don't you share a bit more about your background and why you decided to pursue an enterprise software sales career? Uh, well, the short story on my background is that, you know, I, so I'm American, but I live in Sweden, but, you know, grew up in the States for most of my life. Uh, by the time I got to college, um, we hadn't been able to collectively save a whole bunch of money as a family to get me to college. So I had to pay for it myself. And I did that through selling books door to door. I, I worked for a company called Southwest when I was, uh, in, in, in university, my first year, it was traumatic. And, you know, I, there were many tears from many slam doors, doors in my face. Uh, but I lived to sell another day and I actually got okay at it. And fast forward, you know, sometime later, I, I got into the career of uh, enterprise sales. And then, um, you know, the, the first decade of, of that of my career was very hit or miss. I had some good years. I got fired twice in a row for, for underperformance. And then everything started to change um, in, the, in the second half of my career once I got to Oracle. But I'll take a pause there. That's kind of the, the short story as, as far as my sales story goes. It seems that professionals that face that early adversity ask themselves that question, is sales for me? Am I going to learn from this? How do I bounce back? And, and you're a great example of somebody that, that has grown from those experiences. And let's get into the exact meat of what you've learned from that. And, and something you shared that really resonated with me as a newer account executive is that there were five common mistakes you made as an account executive, which I'm sure led to underperformance that you had to learn from. You played by the rules too much. You adapted the sales guy persona. You focused too much on activity. That's a big one for me right now. Focus on just making volume cold calls and saying the rest will take care of itself, trying to do everything yourself um, and trying to close as quickly as you can. Why don't you talk about one or two of those mistakes that, that, that really were the biggest impediments to you at the time and how you learned from it? So just the whole general topic of activity, calls, emails, try, just trying to set up demos and stuff like this. Um, there, there's a there's a maturity curve to selling and in the earlier parts of that curve um the powers that be understand that we're not terribly skilled and so they just simply say look just bang it out uh, as a numbers game <laughs> and there are formulaic ways to sell which is highly transactional but relatively um predictable so it's really there, you know, there are lots of sales motions out there for SDRs, you know, inside sales in general, uh, to, to follow a pretty tight sales process and, and to generalize about that, you can basically say step one, step two, step three, and then a deal pops out 40% of the time. And that has its value, but for, for the organization, but for the seller, it's, it's just a highway to burnout and, you know, hamster wheel syndrome. And it, in, in my experience, you know, I'm just one view, it has less to do with skill and more to do with effort. 
So as we learn anything, take riding a bike. You know, the first time you get on a bike, you're all conscious about your feet and your hands and just keeping balance so you don't fall off that bike. And then the next thing that you're worried about goes from your feet and your hands to the rock in the road or the curb. Don't hit the curb and fall off. But eventually you get to a point where those motor activities, you got those under control. And you can actually look around and enjoy the scenery as you're biking through, you know, town or the forest or whatever. And that same thing happens with sellers too. So, and that's what I learned from years of activity. What I, what I learned is the few times that I would simply stop. So the, the first time that I experienced this was when I was selling books door, door, door to door. <laughs> I, would, I was banging it out and I wasn't doing a great job. And two things happened. Number one, um, the, uh, my manager had me follow a rock star seller. So I spent half a day following somebody else who was really good at door-to-door -door sales. And I just watched him and I was like, holy cow, he does this so differently. Oh, I, now I see what works and what doesn't work. Now I see some stuff that I could do that I never even, even thought possible. So massive accelerant through basically min mentoring, like mini mentoring, like a half day of mentoring. And I just was, wow. And then the other thing that I did is that, you know, we worked 80 hours a week. So it was like six days a week. And then Sunday you'd have a meeting. And then in the evening you would do your laundry and do your washing or whatever. And I just took off after all that on a Sunday evening. And I went and I sat down in the park and I just tried visualizing, you know, I, I was digesting what I had learned from following this other seller. And then I just sat there and I was like, I am going, we, we had this, this goal of 500 units. That was the goal that everybody's trying to, you know, units of books, right? And I just visualized what would it be like to sell what I needed, like 100, 100 ish every day to break over 500 over a week. And I visualized it and I just thought of it and I was meditating. And that next week, I, I was like, like 506 units for the first time ever. And that was a huge accomplishment for me because I didn't just keep banging my head against the door, <laughs> no pun intended, but <laughs> I, 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 I thought, okay, I'm going to change my sales play and I'm not going to just be a numbers game and I'm going to look for a certain type of customer in a certain area, you know, and I'm going to sell them the whole package, not just a book or two. And that made all the difference. And I've had similar experiences in the enterprise, you know, SaaS world. But that's kind of an example of how I learned how to go from just massive activity to massive strategy. Call it that. I find that those are the two key levers that influence my ability to, to earn income is the skill and will. The will is the actual effort, um, how many calls you're making volume and you reach a point where you just, you really can't work harder and it becomes an efficiency skill game to the point you're making. And I find that many of the deals I work are won and lost through discovery, especially as the deal sizes increase the complexity, the bigger, the customers you're working with. And you talk a lot about newer AEs and discovery, um, and, and, and feature versus solution outcome selling. And you talked about an elite seller is there to uncover personal motivations. Can you talk about your philosophy into doing effective discovery and then how one can uncover personal motivations? I, I think discovery doesn't come anywhere near what really needs to happen when you say discovery. I think so many of us think of discovery as a set of questions. 
And really what discovery is, is a journey to understand. And to, to really do that, it happens through multiple channels and it happens over time. And it, your understanding is always deepening and changing. I believe that truth is progressive, not, not static. And so the, the more we spend time with our customers or the more that we spend time with our own internal team understanding our process or our, 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 our product or whatever, our understanding grows and shifts and changes. And so um, the, the link between what we know is discovery and uncovering personal motivations are that people make all these decisions, right? E e even though these big, huge, massive enterprise software deals look so uh complex and you know beyond the pale for most sellers and all these kind of things it still boils down to basic human interactions you know it, it's the same thing as if you go to buy a car or if you go to buy a tv or whatever the the same big block questions come through your head you know am i gonna like this thing am i gonna am i gonna use it am i gonna get value from it relative to the amount of money that i'm being asked to trade, to, to get it. Are there any risks in making this purchase? How would other people perceive me for making this purchase? And does this purchase forward my goals? Not just the MBOs that I have at work, but my personal goals of, of achieving, achieving whatever I call human, you know, my own life's fulfillment. And so um, I tend to spend most of my time looking at the, the senior stakeholders within an organization and what makes them tick and what they're trying to achieve and what, what their personalities are. Um, I, I think I posted about this, but there was a really interesting case once where there was an executive who I knew, but he would rarely take my call. And he was part of a larger um set of initiatives at one big customer that I had. And, you know, I'd call him, he wouldn't respond. And I'd email him, he wouldn't respond. And over and over and over. And I'd go away and do other stuff. And I'd come, you know, and it, it never got anywhere. And then one time I invited him to an event that we were holding at the, uh, it, this was in Denmark. And it was at the, uh, the consulate, the, 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 the ambassador's residence, the U.S. ambassador's residence in Denmark. It happened to be a historically significant property. And it was going to be with a lot of other executives around Denmark. And I just left him a voicemail. Hey, I said, hey, XYZ, you know, here's this thing. It's going to be at this place. And everybody knows the name of the residence. Ten minutes later, he texts me. He says, great, send me the details. So it just hit me when, when that happened that, okay, this guy is motivated either by being at this property or being with this crowd of people. Nothing else that I had offered him over six months moved the needle at all. Ten minutes after I offer this, he he pops. So I'm like, okay, hit or miss, I I, I hit, I I got a hit, and so I, I understand something better about his motivations, and I leaned into that over time, and we engaged a lot more. So that's an example of, you know, the importance and 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 why finding personal motivations is so is such a big deal. And speaking of getting creative as well, it sounded like you, you really had to think outside the box and not just think in terms of my solution, my sales process, but what do they actually want and, and what does he care about deep down? 
you told the story about the largest Salesforce deal in history. And I, I found it fascinating because I hadn't heard it before about a rep. He had a large insurance account in his name. Um, and he basically applied to be, um, an insurance agent at that company and basically went through that whole process and wrote an entire assessment of what was his experience becoming a rep at that company, et cetera, et cetera. I know I'm skipping over some details. He sends this entire assessment of his experience, basically applying to that company, being a rep to the CIO. And it had such an impact on that CIO and the other stakeholders that it led to a major IT transformation. It led to that rep closing the biggest deal in history, being recognized in front of all of the colleagues. And the takeaways are thinking bigger, taking massive action. Can you talk about what that means to you in the context of your own experience, thinking bigger and taking massive action? Yeah. So, so I wrote a book, it's called mega deal secrets. And in the book, uh, it's, it's the story of the first big deal that I ever did. And there's a point in the book, which points to the moment that I kind of understood this concept that you've just raised about thinking bigger. Um, the, the scenario is that I had just been brought into this account that was a sickly relationship, right? They were not happy with us. Uh, there was a lot of turnover in our organization. Uh, we were missing SLAs and the customer satisfaction was like at an all time low. <laughs> and it was just before it was time to do a big, the renewal and where we didn't know if they were going to stay with us or not for another three years. We were sitting on the on site with the customer in a nice, uh, conference room. And I was sitting and to my right was my head of sales to the left was our VP of professional services and across the table was the uh the customer executive who was in charge of the engagement and we were on our side we were talking about okay we can do this discount over here and we can move this team over there and we can we can shift from onshore people to onshore from offshore people to onshore to you know bring them on site etc and the customer executive just kind of raised his hands he says guys 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 this is not about discounts and shifting around team members. This is about how we steward the most important IP of the company. And there was a long pause. And we kind of looked at each other and the conversation completely shifted. And it completely shifted the entire engagement to the point where we we, th we thought so differently that we changed the commercial model. We did a non-standard commercial model. We changed the operational model. We changed the contract with all these custom T's and C's. We changed everything and made it to be as close to exactly what they wanted as we could, which is hard to do at a large portfolio company. And that customer went from a sickly relationship doing 10 million in run rate business to a happy and hopeful customer doing 50 million over a nine month period. So the stretching that we did that was ignited by that one statement by the customer just, just changed our mindsets and, and, and we just went off like a rocket ship to make things completely different. And we, we thought out of the box and we acted out of the box. You as the rep, when you completely turned around the relationship, I'm sure that was a big deal. It was a massive milestone in your career that led to future successes. How does that feel when you've been working for a decade or two and you finally have that massive 
noteworthy deal that everyone is interested in that you're probably called out for uh, me personally in the limited success i've had you get a promotion you close a big deal you've been thinking about it forever you're happy and then you're thinking what's next i'm curious as someone that has really done what many of us aspire to do how does that feel when you finally reach that pinnacle of big deals and then what what, what does it feel like uh in the in the moment it's life-changing it is absolutely life-changing. At first, you don't really kind of believe it, right? So when we, there, there was a, a kind of an adventure of a story about how the deal closed. It was the last day of my fiscal and um, the documents were, uh, it was a challenge to get the documents signed because the procurement lead had to sit outside of the boardroom because the board was meeting and the, and the signer was an executive vice president and he was the <laughs> only one who could sign it. And he had to sit outside for almost two hours he sat outside the boardroom waiting for them to come out for a break. And the clock was running down on my fiscal year. It was only a few hours left in the fiscal year. And so, you know, by the skin of our teeth, we, we submitted the document. So that was kind of this adventurous story. And when I got word that the deal had been booked on time on my end, you know, it was like this almost disbelief, you know, this cloudy, hazy feeling that I can't believe that we did it. I can't believe I'm on the other side of this. I can't believe that we achieved it. So, and that lasted for, you know, a few days <laughs> and then guess what? The new fiscal starts and I'm back at, <laughs> back <stuff>. at zero. <laughs> uh, that's incredible. Um, Jamal, some, something that I'm also fascinated by your perspective on is you talk a lot about reaching, um, a decade or two of experience as an IC and then, and then, and then eventually the planning your exit talking about investing your commission check. And then you did some math about, Hey, you could retire by 40, invest the commission check and X, what different outcomes depending on your financial goals, talking about being an enterprise seller is the best education you can get, especially if you play the game ambitiously, like you just described. Um, there are bigger mountains to climb. Can, can you talk about what that means to you getting that enterprise experience and then why it seems that that is, that is, your, your narrative around, Hey, let's get the experience, let's get the money. And then there's more to do outside of being an individual contributor. Well, I think sure I can, but before I talk about me, I would, I would really talk about what I've learned about other sellers. So since I've left being an IC myself, now I talk with sellers every day, like all day. And I, now I, I have been so impressed or, uh, pleasantly surprised I, I thought I was the only guy that liked to do side businesses and think about doing something on my own someday, et cetera. But no, it's like most of the sellers that I talk to have that kind of a goal or dream. So that right there is a data point that I never had. Cause when I was in an IC, I was just in the role doing the deal. I didn't care what other reps were doing. I didn't care what other companies were doing. I was just, you know, doing, doing my thing. But now in this different, uh, space that I'm in, I, I'm up and looking around and I'm talking with all these reps and seeing, and it, now, now I, I see this trend across like everybody. And so that's a, that's a big learning for me that, uh, lots and lots and lots of reps want to either have something on the side or have this partial career, right? Not their, all of their career, but part of their years as an individual contributor, and then go on to do something else. It's like, 20 or 30% want to do sales management, but the other 70 or 80 either want to do real estate or, or, or a digital business or coaching or, um, you, you know, an, 
an investment portfolio, lots of different stuff. So that's what I've learned about sellers. So that, that seems to be a real thing for lots of folks, not, not, not just me. But what it meant for me is that from the, from the earliest days of selling, I always looked at my managers and God love them, they were always exhausted. <laughs> And, you know, always traveling and spreadsheet jockeying. And every time I would, I, I, I love most of my managers. I've, had, I've been blessed most of my life to have really good managers. But I just looked at their life and I'm like, I don't want that. And if that's what I have to go through, if that's the reality of a first line manager, I don't know if I want to go over that speed bump to get, you know, and get stuck there for years before I could be a VP or a CRO or whatever. Um, so early on, I saw that I had no interest in going into sales management. So then I'm like, okay, well, I know I can be a rep for a long time, but not forever. So what would I do after being a rep? And also another part of me, I mean, I'm just a guy who loves to talk about business, not at the, not at the finance level, like, like an analyst, but more like when I get in a taxi, I'm asking the taxi driver, so do you own your car or do you, you, know, do you rent it? <laughs> You know, how, how long, how long are you, how long do you, you know, I'm always asking people about all their businesses cause I'm just fascinated. And so I was always having something on the side and I've done crazy stuff like buying and selling land online, like vacant land. And, uh, you know, for a while I was trying to do something like an agency and thing after thing just didn't work until I, I got into doing what I do now. And that just really took off because, uh, I, 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 I know sales pretty, pretty well. And um, I think people can see a difference between somebody who, you know, can, can walk the walk versus others who just like post about it. That was kind of the journey and, and where I found kind of a, a place to be after sales, if, if that answers the question. In our final two to three minutes, Jamal, why don't you talk about how you are helping reps today? Um, I know you have your website, you had written your book, um, and you post a lot of great content. So why don't you talk about the work you're doing today? And for those sellers out there that, that may fit into the, the bucket that you're looking to serve, why don't you talk about the work you're doing? Sure. Well, I guess the, the, the gateway drug to this world is the book, Mega Deal Secrets. Um, so that's just a nice read. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on my, 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 you know, uh, I, I, it should be on, on my LinkedIn, uh, profile, but there's, there's two real ways that I, that I have significant interactions with reps. One is through my masterclass, the Mega Deal Secrets masterclass. And you can just go to megadealsecrets.com to learn about that. It's and a great landing is, page, by the way. It looks really good. Thank you. Thank you. We just yeah. redid it to keep it super simple. Um, and the second is enterprisesellers.com. Um, and that is the website for enter the enterprise sellers community. And that's a community for only for individual contributors. It's not for SDRs or BDRs. It's not for sales managers. It's not for marketing folks. It's just for enterprise sellers, AEs, strategic account managers, etc. And that's a place where we, um, we're a community. We're there for each other. We constantly help each other learn and grow. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's been a stealth project until about May, and, and now it's a public thing. 
That's fantastic. I think you're. I think you're serving an important market. I'm. I'm basically on the opposite end, serving folks who are trying to get into software sales earlier in their SDR career, and then you're on the opposite end, and you're one of the few people doing it. Um, so I think it's really important and a unique place to be. Uh, Jamal, thanks so much for your time here today. I'm going to put a link to Jamal's LinkedIn down in the description. Go connect with Jamal. Let him know what you think of today's episode, um, and have a great rest of the day, everyone. Jamal, thanks so much for your time.